your Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. This, this morning's message that, that I'm about to share, this, this morning's message from God's Word, can, I believe, when put into action, deliver people from a great deal of division and heartache. As we have been making our way through the Gospel of Mark, it's an amazing thing to, to see how what, what, what we see next there, and the Lord puts on my heart to bring, is something that someone is going through. Actually, many people are going through that very week. See, God has a way of doing that and speaking to us. And, and when we go through a gospel like this, or a book of the Bible, or a portion of Scripture, when we go through it like this, sometimes we, we, we can kind of focus in on our favorite things and overlook at other things that God wants to speak to us. This morning's message, again, if implemented, if put into practice, can deliver a great deal of people from a great deal of division and heartache. It relates, this message relates to every person here this morning, regardless of your age. It, it, it relates to wherever you are in life because all of us are susceptible to this sin. You'll find out what it is in a moment, but I want to tell you straight up, every one of us are susceptible to this, and it's more deadly than we think. Our time is going to close in prayer. In about 35 or 40 minutes, maybe less than that, our time is going to close in prayer, and we're going to ask God to break the power of this sin in our lives. What we're about to read from Mark chapter 9 it's not simply the record of an event, it's instructions for every one of us. So Mark's gospel, we have seen here in Mark's gospel, we have seen how Jesus was always shaping and preparing his disciples. Everything that Jesus did, not, not everything, but most things that he did, he would bring back to the disciples and take the opportunity for intentional instruction and ministry to them. These were the people that he was going to send out. These were the disciples that he was preparing. These were the disciples that he was going to first empower with his Holy Spirit to go and do the work that he called them to do. The time that Jesus spent in preparing his disciples was never wasted time. Let me, let me rephrase that just a little bit. Also, today, presently, the time that Jesus spends preparing you as his disciple is not wasted time. Sometimes we think, I gotta get out there and do it. I gotta, God, you gotta use me in powerful ways. And yet, before God uses us in powerful ways, he prepares us in powerful ways. He was doing that with the disciples here on this occasion. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33, reads this way They came to Capernaum. Capernaum, by the way, was their home base. They came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one, with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all. Servant of all. May the Lord bless his word to us today. Verse 34 again says, 
that they had argued about who among them was the greatest. I want you to see that verse right there in your Bibles. Maybe you're holding it. Verse 34, they were arguing or had been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, now I, I, I draw attention to that because the very fact that they were arguing about this shows us that they still needed a lot of work. Some of you will remember the Peanuts comic strip. Lucy was speaking to Charlie Brown. Remember him? Lucy said, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. I think Lucy was having a bad day. You ever have a day like that? Charlie Brown replied, but I thought you had inner peace. Lucy responded, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. The disciples had learned much. They had been changed by much. They had seen and experienced much, but there was a lot more work that was required. When it says in verse 34 that they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest, well, that just shows us that their outer obnoxiousness was showing. It's showing here that even though these people had traveled with Jesus, now, been with Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw him eat, saw him work miracles, saw him, heard him saying amazing things, they still had a lot of work to, to go on them. They were still a work in progress. They're showing here by this statement, by, this, what, by what was happening here, it shows that there was still a lot of work to be done on them. And, 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 and really, the fact that they're arguing about who is the greatest seems to be a pretty stupid argument when they had been with the greatest for so long. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, they're walking along talking about who among them is the greatest when the greatest one who had ever lived, who would ever live, was right there. I don't, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to think that I wouldn't talk about being great with the greatest there, but they were. Why were they arguing about this? Maybe you're familiar with this text, this story, this true event. But why were they arguing about this? Why were these, these people who were, who, were so, who were so caught up in themselves, why were they even discussing such a thing about who is the great? Why were they doing this? Maybe, just looking at the text here, maybe they were arguing about who was the greatest because not too long before this, and if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, you know that not long before this, Jesus had taken three of the disciples up to a mountain, the mountain that we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where three of the disciples had seen and heard some amazing things. They had seen Jesus' appearance altered. They had uh, <clears throat> saw two two people from great Jewish history uh, uh, on loan from heaven <laughs> come back and talk with Jesus. They had heard the voice of God. Three of the disciples had gone up to a mountain and they had seen and heard these amazing things. While the other nine stayed behind to contend with a demon-possessed boy and an angry crowd. Just looking at this context, you, you wonder, why are some of them saying, I'm the greatest or you're the greatest? 
I think that they were talking about this because some looked at the recent history and some said, well, I'm much more special because I was one of the three who went to the mountain. Or some were saying, well, I'm not very special because I had to stay down at the foot of the mountain and deal with a demon-possessed boy. Maybe, maybe some of them thought that, that these experiences, these blessings, or these directives of God made them put them in a special status. Some perhaps inflated themselves. Well, obviously I'm a little bit more special while perhaps others took offense. It appears, in fact it's very clear, that they had become jealous of one another. Think of this. Here are these people. I don't, I don't know that Jesus heard them. Jesus knew their heart. And they're walking along and they're saying, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm something pretty special. I got to be with Jesus when this happened. Or, or I must not be very special. And, and all of a sudden you see this division within the disciples. There's only 12 of them, but you see a bit of a division. You see jealousy taking root. And you also see ambition. Here's this pursuit of position, this, this establishing a bit of a pecking order. Well, I'm one of the really important disciples, or I'm not. Their, their outer obnoxiousness, these disciples, their outer obnoxiousness was showing. Jesus knew. Remember, Jesus is preparing. These are the 12 that he's going to send out. These are the 12 that he wants to entrust all of his kingdom to, and then for them to go out and advance his kingdom. These are the ones that he is preparing more than anyone else. And Jesus knew that ambition and Jesus knew that jealousy had the potential of dividing them. Jesus knew that this thing, this seemingly innocuous thing that was happening, had the ability to absolutely rip them apart. He knew, Jesus knew, listen to me on this, Jesus knew that whenever people compare themselves with other people, it's almost always a bad thing. Let me say that again. When people start comparing themselves with other people, when people look at themselves and then they look at another person, or when they look at another person and they see what God is doing there and they don't see it happening in their, themselves, it's almost always a bad thing. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. I want to consider just for a moment the greater context of this thing that they were fighting with here. I want to consider jealousy for a few moments. Uh, jealousy, I would say, just from my observation, my interaction with people, I would say that we would regard jealousy as, a, uh, as one of those sins that is, is, is often easily dismissed. On the, on the sin spectrum that we kind of have in our minds, we put it on the light side. We go, oh, you know, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's jealousy. And, and so that's kind of over here on the light side, kind of over by, you know, uh, uh, reusing uh, postage stamps and, and uh, you know, uh, doing just a little adjustment on the taxes or something like that. We put it over here. I'm, I'm talking about our sin spectrum and then over here, on the opposite side, we put things like murder, right? Everybody goes, I'm not a murderer. You know, that's like way over here on the sin spectrum. And if you're really bad, then you're a mass murderer. And if you're even worse than that, then you're like, you know, you're a Nazi mass murderer or something like that. And on the sin spectrum, we, in our minds, we know, we know that 
to God, it's all sin, but sometimes we, we put certain things. Now, it's interesting, by the way, while I'm on this, on the so-called sin spectrum, we, we, some things move. Have you noticed? There are some, there are some sexual sins that move. It, it used to be, it used to be oh, kind of over here on the sin spectrum, and, and now it's kind of over here on the sin spectrum. Or, or, or some things like, some things like, um, some things like, uh, uh, bigotry used to be maybe kind of light in some people's minds, kind of light on the sin spectrum, and, and now it's over here on the... To, the thing is, to, to God, it's all sin. It's all something that, that can divide us. It's all something that can separate us from God. But we tend to put it over here. I, I would say, this again, just from my observation, not, and, and also the study of the Scripture here, that, that jealousy is often just kind of relegated over here to sin light. But did you know that jealousy and also another thing that's happening here, ambition, that jealousy and ambition were a part of the very first sins? Think about this for a moment. In Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it records there the story or a part of the story of Lucifer. Lucifer, Isaiah tells us, was a very high, important angel in heaven. Created by God. Not just an angel, but, but the head over a number of angels. The Bible says, again, in the book of Isaiah, that, that Isaiah, excuse me, that Lucifer, wanting to be as God, became jealous of God. His evil ambition, he wanted to be worshipped as God was worshipped. And his evil ambition led him, the Bible says, to rebel against God. And he took a third of the angels with him, and he was, he and a third of the angels were ejected from heaven. Now, we don't know exactly where on the time scale that happened, but, but certainly it was before the fall of mankind. But, but this rebellion happened in heaven. Lucifer became Satan because of jealousy and ambition. And sometimes we, you know, we say, ah, oh, jealousy, you know, uh, wanting attention, wanting status, uh, that, that ambition, th that, that's kind of, uh, and, and when we don't get it, we become jealous of that person or someone who does get it. We tend to put that over here light, and yet Satan started out as an angel who was jealous and ambitious. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that jealousy showed up early in human history when Cain, out of jealousy, killed his brother Abel. Both of them prepared a sacrifice. God favored one sacrifice over the other. He favored Abel's sacrifice, and, and Cain didn't like it. He became jealous, and so he rose up, and he killed his brother. That showed up pretty early in the human race. Now, again, we put murder over here, but, but, but it was jealousy that caused the murder. Maybe, maybe, this thing called jealousy or this ambition for status is a little bit more serious than we think. Genesis 37, jealousy caused Joseph's brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. In 1 Samuel 18, <clears throat> the first king of Israel, his name was Saul, was jealous of David's popularity, so Saul tried to kill David. Jealousy. One of Jesus' best-known 
parables, stories with a kingdom truth. Jealousy caused the son who stayed home to reject the prodigal son when he came home. In fact, you're learning some things about this sin light that you maybe never knew. Galatians chapter 5 lists jealousy as one of the works of the flesh, and it includes it in the same list of sins like idolatry, immorality, orgies, and sorcery. Now, most of us would say, whoa, those are some pretty heavy sins. Yeah, jealousy's on the same list. Wow. Who knew that it was taken so seriously in Scripture? We think that jealousy and ambition are no big deal. The, this, this searching for status, this, this wanting status, especially if someone else has it and we want it. James chapter 3, verse 16 tells us this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Oh, and by the way, I've been guilty of this sin a number of times. When I look around and I see somebody getting attention for something that I don't think that it, it was really merited, or maybe someone else was asked to do something and I wasn't asked, jealousy creeps in. And all of a sudden, the enemy takes this thing and, and it begins to create feelings towards that person. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, God's Word says there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jesus, listening to these disciples or, or knowing what was in their hearts, Jesus knew that if jealousy and selfish ambition persisted, it would tear his disciples apart and destroy the work that he had called them to do. Jesus was so concerned about this that when he got to Capernaum, he pulled them together and he said, guys, sit down. I want to talk to you about something. We have a problem. By the way, jealousy and selfish ambition can still tear people apart and destroy. Think about this. How many marriages do you know that have been damaged or destroyed by jealousy or ambition? How many marriages do you know that you, you, one person looks at another and says, you don't deserve that, or why isn't that happening to me? Something comes between them, real or perceived, and that jealousy can come in. There was a, there was a commercial a couple of years ago, I think it had to do with like a, a shower thing, and, and you have these two people racing, and there's a husband and wife, and they're, they're wanting to, to be the first to use this shower. I hated this commercial because I, I hate what it represents. And, and, they, and, they were, and they were fighting each other to be the first one to use the shower. That's jealousy. That's ambition. That's, that's indicative of so many people that are thinking that it's all about themselves. How many husbands and wives have been separated because instead of looking at another person and saying, I want to make it better for you, they say, I want to make it better for me, and all of a sudden jealousy starts coming in. 
selfish ambition. How many family members are estranged from each other because of jealousy, again, either real or perceived? I can't tell you the number of times people, some that I've pastored, others that I've been aware of, others that I've done funerals, and the families put, the families, the brothers and the sisters, the extended family, put their animosity on hold for a while while the funeral is taking place, and within a day or two beyond that, they never speak to each other again because they're jealous of each other. Because a brother or a sister thinks that someone else is favored over them. And this insidious, divisive thing creeps in. They thought that they deserved the status, and instead they didn't get it, someone else did, they think. And and now all of a sudden we have people, brothers and sisters, who no longer speak to each other. If this is you this morning, I don't know it, I don't necessarily need to know it, but if it is you, then I'm calling it what it is. It's sin. It divides people. Many families have been divided because of jealousy or selfish ambition. How many churches, how many churches have been torn apart because someone was ambitious and they thought they could do anything to gain power? How many times did people say, well, that person shouldn't be recognized, I should be recognized. That person shouldn't be asked to do that, I should have been asked to do that. And when it happens, this jealousy grows and now instead of looking to the one who is alone worthy of our attention, we begin putting our attention on someone else and we say, how dare they receive that? This pursuit of status can divide people. How many times has it happened in churches? How many work relationships or friendships, people that were once very close to each other, have become toxic because of jealousy or ambition? How many people, they're, they're, maybe their economics grow or someone else's slip a little bit, and all of a sudden they feel like, you know what, we can't be friends anymore because our, our economies are so different, our, our income is so disparate that we can no, no longer be the friends that we were, and all of a sudden jealousy comes. How many times has that happened? Don't raise your hand, don't nod your head, but, but really, how many times has that happened? How many work relationships, again, have become so toxic because someone got the promotion and someone didn't, and someone took offense? I totally understand why the Holy Spirit directed James to write those words, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. I'll tell you what, when selfish ambition and jealousy come in between people, it opens up the door for all kinds of horrible things. Now, here's the thing. All we've talked about so far, far is the problem. 20 minutes into this, and all I've talked about is the problem. The mess that jealousy and ambition can cause. We need help. We need a solution. What's the solution? A big part of the answer is right here. It's in verse 35. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Let me read that again. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us. What Jesus is doing here is he's giving us the essence of what we call the upside down kingdom. The upside down, now you won't find that word or that phrase in Scripture, 
but you'll, receive, you'll see it again and again once you recognize what it is. The upside-down kingdom means living as Jesus would have us live rather than by the twisted standards of this world. You see, God has a way of doing things, and this world has a way of doing things. Our world's systems say that the many who are at the bottom serve the few or the one who is at the top. That's the world's system. You see this all the time. You see this in, uh, you see this in, in schoolyards. <laughs> How many ever hear, ever played King of the Hill? Right. We we learned it early. <laughs> you 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 see this in in uh, in business. You see this in government. You see this, once you recognize this, you see this all over. That you, you reach the top, you consolidate power, you become, you, you get to the very top of whatever your field or your calling or your profession is. And everyone else kind of answers to you. That's the world systems. But Jesus said in his kingdom, greatness or being first is not in being served, but in serving. That's the upside down kingdom. Jesus said, and this is what, I mean, <laughs> he'll say it again. You'll see that in a moment. He'll say it. But this was like mind-blowing to them because even at this point, they're thinking, you know, they're thinking the, 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 on the left there, that's, the, that's the, the, the world's way. That's how they were thinking, and all of a sudden, Jesus turns it upside down and said, oh, no, 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 the greatest. If you want to be the first, the most important, the, if you want to be a person of influence, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus said, if you really want to change someone, It's not in being at the top, it's being at the bottom and serving. It's not in being served, but it's in serving. Now what's interesting, now this is Mark chapter 9. In the very next chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus expanded on this when two of the disciples, James and John, they were actually brothers. And by the way, they were also two of the guys who were on top of the mountain with Jesus. See, they didn't learn it in chapter 9, so in chapter 10 they come back. And they asked Jesus for greater status when Jesus set up his kingdom. They're still thinking, they're still thinking, you know, the world system. Jesus, when you get when when you get to your place, when you set up your kingdom, we want good seats. We want one of us to sit on your left hand and one of your right. We don't want the top spot. We just want the spot right under the top spot. See, they didn't get it. They didn't learn it in chapter 9, so they come to him in chapter 10, and this is what they asked. They wanted the good seats. Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise over them. Jesus is teaching this again. He's describing the standards of the world's systems. Again, it says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, their great ones exercise authority over them. But in chapter 10, verse 43, he says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, if you truly want to see change, if you want to influence lives, you're not, you can't go by this world system 
you have to, instead of becoming the king of all or the top of all or even the second top of all, you have to become the greatest servant. That is how I'm preparing you guys as disciples, Jesus was saying. And then he gives himself as an example. He said, for even the Son of Man, the guy in their minds who was at the very top, he said, even the Son of Man, referring to himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's powerful. I mean, this, is, this, is, this was mind-blowing stuff to these disciples, and they're going, whoa, we can't, we've never seen it quite this way. Hopefully they got it at this point. This is the second time they're a little slow. Jesus is saying, you want to change your world? Because that's what he was wanting them to do, by the way. Remember, everything he did was intentional. He wants them to be world changers. He's going to empower these guys and 10 others to go and change the world. He wants them to understand that if they did it the old way, it would, it would, it would fizzle out so fast. But if we did it this way, if instead of being served, we serve... That'll change the world. And it did. So how do we do it? Right? Let's take it away from them and bring it to us. How do we do it? How do we serve? How, how do we do this? How, how, how do we do something so, so revolutionary or contrary maybe to the systems of this world? How do we do? How, how do we serve? Well, here, here's the, the challenge that I face I don't have time to do an entire teaching on the upside-down kingdom, but I know how it begins. It begins by giving. Let me say that again. It begins by giving. Right there, you see it before you, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're taking notes this morning, then you need to write this down. This is big. Servants of God, give. Four words. Servants of God, give. They give. Now, now, if you automatically think that I'm talking simply about money, that's not what I'm referring to. That is just a small part of it. If you're truly going to be a servant of God, if you're going to be a servant that God uses to change the world around you, you have to start by giving. In nearly every chapter of the four Gospels, you'll find Jesus giving. To the sick, Jesus gave health. To people possessed by demons, he gave deliverance. To the hungry, Jesus gave food. To the dead, Jesus gave life. To people bound in sin, Jesus gave grace. To people who were spiritually clueless, he gave insight. And to the spiritually lost, Jesus gave direction. You look at every chapter, almost every chapter of the Gospels, in which you see Jesus' public ministry in every one, and multiple times in each chapter, you will see Jesus giving. He comes into a community and he sees something. What does he do? He gives something. Healing. They bring him somebody who's demon-possessed. It's deliverance. Gives someone who, who doesn't know where they're going. He gives direction. Somebody brings somebody to him who's just totally lost in sin and he gives grace. He says, go your way and sin no more. Jesus is always giving. He was always throughout his life giving, giving, giving. And in fact, ultimately, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life for you. 
Jesus is a servant. Jesus is a servant. Jesus demonstrated what he was speaking of here. Listen, you want to be like Jesus? You want to serve? Then you start giving. Now here's where the hard part is. Because sometimes we don't even want to give the basics. Oh, we'll give a check perhaps. We'll give a tithe or an offering. Something will move us and the Holy Spirit may stir us and, and we'll give. But, but what if God wants you to give your attention to something that you've never given your attention to before? What if God wants you to give up your preference for his greater purpose? So let that roll around in your mind for a little bit. What if God wants you to surrender, give up your preference the way that you want it to be done for the way that he wants to do something? What if God wants to give you your time? You know, I, I, it's one thing, I have no problem giving money, but sometimes my time. I was sharing with someone earlier today, it's, it's like, man, I, it's, I, you, that's, that's a, it's a, such a limited quantity, and, and I don't know that I want to give my time because I don't have a whole lot for my you want some time? Yeah, I'll give it. You want to do this? Let's do it. Let's make this happen. I, I, I'm there. What if God wants you, what if want, God wants you to give your abilities to something that you've never given it before? What if God says, I want to do a great work, but it's going to start in a small way and I want you to be a part of it? Will you give? You want to be a world changer? You want to change the world around you? You want to see something start that you may think is just kind of insignificant, but it's actually going to change a, a life, and then it's going to change a family, and then it's going to change a community, and then it's going to change the world. You want to do that? Give. You give. How do we serve? It starts by giving. Um, my wife and I, a couple months ago, we were watching something on TV, and they, they had it involved uh, servants, people who were, who were um, like servants in a... In a in a wealthy home. And I mean, these people, you know, if, they, if, if, if they were asked to do something, they just did it. Servants carry. Servants give. Servants sacrifice. Servants say, it's not about me, it's about who I'm serving. We don't have a problem with that if we say, oh, I'll do it for God, I'll do anything for God because God's at the top. That, that's true, but, but God said, Jesus said, if you, if you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. You want to be like Jesus. You want to serve, then you give. In your relationships, if you are married this morning, or you're going to be married, you give to your husband or your wife. You give to your husband. You're saying, I give... I give my husband or wife so much every week. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking you give of yourself. I, I've done a lot of um, pre-marriage counseling or teaching. And, and one of the things that, I, and some of you, I, I've married a number of you or I've officiated. I'm, I only got married once. You understand what I mean. Um, I've officiated in many of your, your weddings and, uh, and, and I met with you before. And, I, and, and, and this is going to sound familiar to you, but for those of you who, who I didn't, listen, if you think, uh, there's this perception out there that, that the husband does his part and the wife does her part, and somewhere in the middle they meet and everybody's happy. You do it here part, do it, everybody's happy. That is a bunch of hogwash. 
That's Latin for, that's a falsehood, all right? That's what that means. It, it's a lie. You, you want a successful marriage? Then you give and you give and you give, and I'm not talking about just funny. I mean, you give of your time. And at the end of the day, you're saying, I don't want to help out, but I'm going to help out. And, and at the beginning of the day, you're saying, this is challenging. We've got a really full schedule, but I'm going to give, and I'm going to love, and I'm just going to give of myself. And that's how people stay married for 100 years. What is it? 70 years. To keep giving. Because you give of yourself. Because it's not about me. It's not about status. I am not in this marriage to be the king or the queen. It's your, your goal in life. I'm starting to really go here. Listen, husbands, your goal in life, I don't like this expression, and I don't want you to use this expression anymore. If mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Stop thinking this way. Your purpose in life is not simply to make her happy, it is to serve her. And wives, your purpose is to serve your husbands. To care for them and to meet their needs and to give of yourself for them. And when you do that and the husband's giving everything and the wife's giving everything, I'll tell you what, it makes for a very good marriage. Somebody say amen because you're just looking at me like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. you're married or you're about to be married, you're going to be married, you serve your spouse. You care for them. You give of yourself for them. You say, oh, I'm not getting anything. You keep giving and they'll, it'll come back. You keep giving. If you have children, you give to them. You're going, man, I do give to them. <laughs> I mean that more than just groceries, and thank God that's a big part of it. It's more than just paying the rent or the mortgage and providing a home. It's more than just providing that car, that vehicle, whatever. I, I know that it's more than that. I mean, w one of the things that God has blessed you with is a child, and you are raising, you are raising men and women of God, and you understand that I'm gonna, I only have them for a short time, so I'm going to give. I used to have, before we had children, I had so much free time. I just remember... Or a lot more free time and I, I just remember thinking one day I was restoring a car and I, I really gave myself to that. I just loved, on my day off, I just restored vehicles, old cars, old motorcycles and I just loved doing that and all of a sudden we started having kids and, and my little boy about age two, I realized he was growing up fast, my oldest, and I said, you know what, I don't want to spend time on my day off with an old piece of metal. I've only got this kid for a few years and I'll tell you what, that was like 20 some years ago. I don't regret it for a moment. Someday I'm going to have to replace this shoulder. I'm pretty sure of that unless Jesus heals me because I threw balls. I threw a million balls at that kid. I wanted to give to him. I'm not a great father. I wasn't a perfect father. My youngest is here. You can ask him later. He'll tell you the truth. I wasn't a perfect father. But I, I understood early on, I've got to give to these kids because I only have them for a short time. You want to, you want to, see, you want to see some, some, you want to change a life you give of yourself to your children. It's not just money. Give of yourself. Many of you do. If you're a part of a church, you give. I'll tell you, folks, we've got to get beyond this understanding that, that we treat churches like we treat them, like we treat Walmart. You go in, you get what you want, you check out, you leave, and you don't think about it until I need groceries again. Stop thinking that way. I'm not a part of a church just to get, and then I leave. And then when I'm done, I come back and get some more. I'm a part of that church so that I can give. Five amens. 
That's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why you call this church, or if you're visiting another church, your home, because you're there to give of yourself and say, yeah, you need help? I'm there. I want to be a part. Not just write out a check. Not just get what I need and then leave, but I'm, I'm there to give of myself so that others will know. If you're in any degree of leadership in any place, you're you own a business, or you're, you're in any kind of leadership at wherever you work or wherever you teach, God puts you in that place of leadership to serve to some degree, not just to lead, but to serve the people that work with you or even for you. And it's not just there about me getting the status. I'm here as a servant. I'll tell you what, that, that leader, that kind of a leader who's there to, to help and Yes, we have a product to sell. Yes, we have a, an item to manufacture. Yes, we have something to do. But we're in this together, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to, to some degree, serve you. God calls us to be servants. Folks, we live in a time where celebrities receive far too much attention. Let's say that again. We live in a time where celebrities receive far too much attention. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were traveling. Somebody handed my wife a book about a, about a family of models or something who've never accomplished anything in their life. And, uh, and, uh, and I thought, why? why? Why even write a book about that? I think some of the foolishness that's happening right now with people standing or kneeling or walking out and some of this foolishness. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to muddy the waters. I'm simply saying, why are we even giving some of these people any attention whatsoever? They didn't accomplish anything. They're good at what they do. They throw a ball, run a ball, catch a ball better than anyone else. They drive a car. They act really well and all this stuff. But really, what have they done? What have they done to, to change people's lives? We give far too much attention to, to celebrities. You know what I think we need to be? We need more servants than we need celebrities. Celebrities don't change the world. Oh, they may influence it in some ways by perception, but they don't accomplish much. It's servants. It's people who give of themselves. People who say, I don't need the recognition. I don't need the attention. I don't need to be the celebrity. If no one else knows about this except my Father in heaven, that's good enough for me. I am not here to be celebrated. I am here to serve. What we need in our world are fewer celebrities and more servants. Because servants of God change their world. Servants of God change their world. For just a moment, I'm almost done here. For just a moment, I want you to think back in your own life. The people who really changed you. I mean the people in a positive way. The people who spoke life into you. The people that discipled you. The people that, that, that encouraged you in the deepest and darkest moments. And maybe you're surviving today because they were there. I dare say in every occasion, it wasn't a celebrity, it was a servant. It was someone who said, I'm giving of myself because of what Jesus has done in me. It's people that were operating 
in the upside-down kingdom. It was the people who demonstrated godly servanthood who changed our lives, not the ambitious, not those who, who wanted the attention, not those who thought too much of themselves. I dare say that in almost every case of that person who deeply, or those persons who deeply changed your life, they were people they didn't care about the attention, but they cared deeply about you and they loved Jesus with everything they were. And those are the people who changed their world. Well, I want us to be those people. I want to be that person. I want to be that person if no one else remembers my name, but what I have done in the name of Jesus has changed a life, it's good enough. I want you to be that person. By the way, everything that you do in his name is recorded in heaven. And someday, really honestly, I don't care if I ever get the attention, but someday we'll celebrate for all of eternity what we did for him. If we don't get the recognition here, if we're not at the top of the pecking order here, if we're not the person of greatest influence, at least in the eyes of this world here, no problem. But if I can change a life, if I can influence a life, if you can change a life, if you can influence a life forever, oh, that's worth it. Give. This morning, we've gone past what I wanted to. I'd like you to stand. Would you please, everyone, if you can, stand. And if you could even... Just for a moment, hold and not leave because I want to pray with you and pray for you. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. By the way, um, almost every message that I ever preached, if I ask you to do something, I've already done it. And I've had to ask the Lord to say, Lord, is there anything in me that has wanted the attention that points in my life who, who relished the place of influence too much? Forgive me, I've had to do that. But I want you to do it as well. And then I'm going to pray over you and ask God to make you a servant unlike you've ever been a servant before. I'm going to ask and I'm going to pray that you live and operate and move in the upside-down kingdom. So right now, would you bow your heads? And as I pray, you can agree with me in prayer and make it your own as well. Lord Jesus, I come to you. Just pray it silently to yourself. And Lord, I, I recognize some things, some outer obnoxiousness in me. For too long I have sought the attention of others. Or I've been jealous when others received the attention and I didn't. I now understand in a greater way how divisive this has been, or it is. And I ask, I repent of it, and I ask you to forgive me for jealousy or for selfish ambition. Deliver me, Lord, from this thing that I may have considered sin light. Help me to regard it as sin deadly. 
now, Lord, having repented of that, I ask that you will make me a servant unlike I've ever been before. That my life, I ask that my life would be marked by giving. Giving of my abilities. Giving of my attention. Giving up my preferences. Giving up my, sometimes what I think are my rights. I give them up for the sake of the lost. For the sake of another person. I give of my time, my abilities, my money, certainly. But Lord, let me never relegate my giving just to that. Help me to be a part of a church, Lord, where I don't come just to get, but to give. I'm a part of this body because you've called me here. Because there are things for which I can give. I pray this for my brothers and my sisters here. I thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, in moments ahead as most of us leave this place, I pray that we would go with your blessing upon us. That you would continue to empower us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Use us in the power of your Holy Spirit to do things that we could never do on our own. I don't have the willingness in me to give of myself, but when you are operating in me mightily, Lord, I can give because you've given me so much. May we go in your blessing. Thank you for each person here. We pray these things. We thank you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ if you want. These altars are open. God bless you as you go in his strength, servants of the Lord, today.